So welcome everyone. Um, today I was given a request to talk about uh, feelings in regards to the Buddha's teaching. So when we talk about this concept of people's feelings, one's feelings, um, what are we talking about? And, and how does Buddhism treat this subject? How, how does Buddhism look upon a person's feelings? And I think the first thing we can notice about this, uh, this subject is that it's rather ill-defined. And this was noted in the, the request that was made, that um, actually the person making the request wasn't really um, able to put into words what it was they wanted me, me to talk about. But they had this idea that I should talk about feelings, the person's feelings. And obviously here we're not talking about physical sensations. Um, the, the meaning of the word feelings is something that carries a lot more weight than simply a physical sensation. But it, it's quite, um, quite clear that the concept of a person's feelings is very heavily caught up in subjectivity. What we mean by our feelings and uh, how we use this term. And I think it's a classic example of what we call reification, uh, which is taking a vague concept, something that is ill-defined, something that is impossible really to define, that, that has no uh, definite meaning, and giving it an entity, giving it a, um, giving it a core, a, a, a being, if you will. Uh, th this, is, this is a classic example of one of the things that we warn against in Buddhism. So when people talk about um, hurting someone's feelings or um, respecting a person's uh, feelings uh, or feeling for someone or uh, how we feel about things and so on. Uh, we're, we're really being inexact and it's, it's sort of a way of um, simplifying the subject, simplifying the, the whole uh, experience. And, and as a result, uh, not being able to see the experience clearly and not being able to adequately deal with it. And we see this a lot in modern society that we're asked to respect people's feelings and uh, not to hurt other people's feelings, and it's, it's a grave uh, a mistake or, or uh, insult to hurt someone's feelings. It's something that causes difficulty. But when, when we stop there, when we leave it at simply talking about a person's feelings as though they had some entity, then we're, we're left with this um, this rift between um, the, the, the various individuals and, and, and in regards to the reality of the situation. So we, we can't go anywhere with this. You can't, you can't work with, with this concept. And you see, so you see the difficulty that we have in modern uh, therapy and, and psychiatry and so on, dealing with people's feelings. And it's such a touchy-feely subject. It's something that is in many ways unscientific and it has to go with uh, go by um, case studies and, and a trial and error and, and uh, so the, the way to heal the, the situation, the way to uh, bring about happiness and, and remove suffering is uh, very inexact and unscientific as a result because we're dealing with something that is ill-defined. So this is the first thing that I wanted to, to make clear that um, 
the Buddhism doesn't allow for uh, vaguely defined uh, entities or terms. So when we talk about feelings, we're, we're not going to use, we're going to dissect that, take it apart and figure out exactly what we're talking about when we talk about our feelings. And what we notice in the Buddha's teaching is that there is no particular emphasis placed on some word like emotion or, uh, or feelings. This aspect of our existence is not, is not separated in Buddhism from the, the entity that we call the mind. And scientifically, being a scientific teaching, we, we dissect the mind into its pieces. We, or not dissect, but we, we identify the realities that are arising. And we give them names, and we give them character, we, we observe the characteristics of each of them, the causes and the effects, and we take it from there. So the emotions, our emotions, our feelings, uh, fit into this classification as being part of, of our mental makeup. We have, inside of us, we have of course two parts. We have the physical, and then we have the mental. The physical is very easy to see. It's what we've all learned about in classical phys physics. Uh, the three-dimensional space that we exist in is occupied by a three-dimensional body, this physical entity that you see before you. And that you, when you look at yourself and you, you feel the, the pressure or the hardness of the chair, when you feel the heat and the cold, you're, you're feeling the, the physical. You're experiencing the physical part of reality. When you see, when you hear, when you smell, when you taste, when you feel, this is all part of, of the physical reality. The other part of our reality is the mind. And so feelings fall into this, this category of, of the mental. That which you cannot see, hear, smell, taste, or feel, but that which comes about through thinking or through experiencing. When you see, there has to be the experience of the seeing. When you hear, there has to be the experience of the hearing, the, the knowing of the object, the awareness of the object. And this is the mental. This exists. It's something that can be verified by any individual on a moment-to-moment on -moment basis. It's something that is, uh, really needs no explanation. Now, inside this mental, as I said, there are what we call mental factors. And these are not just emotive states. The, the emotions, the feelings are all, all caught up in here. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. So actually what we call our feelings uh, are made up of the various building blocks of reality. So it might involve a physical sensation, it might involve a judgment, it might involve a past memory or, or a, a judgment. Uh, it could involve any number of, of, of various um, parts of our mental makeup coming together and creating this ill-defined, uh, this uh, vague uh, conception of, of how we feel or how we feel about something or um, how we're feeling. So, the the, the important thing to realize here is that as with everything, as with the ideas of self and soul and, and, and as with our relationships with really everything in the world around us, we are reifying the, the, the entity. We're, we're creating this, um, this entity, this, this uh, idea of what something is according to our belief, according to our uh, preference, according to our uh, experience. We do this with people. When we see a person, we like them or we dislike them. If you look at people, objectively, we, we, most of us, we look quite similar. We might have the, the various particulars might be, might be a little bit different, 
the facial features, the body features, the body size, height, and so on, the skin color, what have you. But really, in general, if you look objectively, we're, we're talking about very similar creatures. And yet, there are so many reasons, so many ways in which we separate, and separate quite sharply. For instance, one of the first things that most of us will do when we see someone is try to identify whether they are a male or a female. When in fact, male and female isn't that obvious of a, of a distinction. Now, if you look at a, a male, an ordinary male person, an ordinary female person, there's, there's, there are differences that are discernible, but you know, in 90% in of the human being is, is, looks the same. And yet, once we make this distinction, it's, it's an incredible, uh, incredibly important uh, concept for all of us. It's, it's an incredibly important part of who they are. It, it's going to define how we relate to them and, and how we react to them. And, and so on. When we see someone is, is perhaps overweight, when we see someone is thin, when we see someone is tall, when we see someone is short, we, we give this some meaning other than, than what it uh, obviously or intrinsically has. And moreover, once we get to know people, then every time we see them, even though the seeing of a person is, is very similar, you see this person, you see that person, there's no obvious reason why it should be different. And yet we, we make an a very sharp distinction between people. This person is family, this person is a friend, this person is an enemy, and so on. And so we do this with everything. And we do this also with our mental states. We do this with our experiences. Because this is really what, what it is when we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with any situation. We're dealing with experiences, we're dealing with these atomic mind states, physical and mental states that are arising and ceasing. And due to the combination of arisen states, we give rise to judgment, we give rise to preference, we give rise to emotion. And so this is how Buddhism looks at the emotive states, trying to see them truly and clearly for what they are, to not be um, content with the identification of these as being a self, a soul, a, who I am. In the Buddha's teaching we're trying to learn and to understand these states and to try to see them objectively. What we find often in the world today is with the identification of the emotions and, and with a um, sort of postmodernist outlook on things whereby we say that what is right for me is right or, or, or it's right because I because it's mine and so on. It's uh, this idea of subjective truth. My truth is maybe different from your truth. My reality is maybe different from your reality. What's right for me may be right may not be right for you and so what's right for you may not be right for me. We have um, we have come to believe that the emotions are a part of who we are, are intrinsic to who we are, and they contribute to our makeup to, uh, of who we are. And so we'll actually cling to these, we'll actually cling to the, the emotions, we'll cling to them out of guilt, we might even cling to them out of pride. We cling to them out of ignorance, out of the ignorance of the reality that these are formed states, they're, they're habits, basically. And just like any habit, they can be formed and, and encouraged, or they can be deconstructed and, and, and removed. And so, there, there, there is no reason, intrinsically, or there's no, no necessity to, to accept these states. They're not, Im, they're not permanent. They're not immutable. They're, they're, they're not uh, an entity in and of themselves. They are a flux of states arising and ceasing. And so ultimately we're going to be able to separate the emotions into those that are useful for us 
those that are useless for uh, for us and, and for our lives, and perhaps those that that have no meaning, those states that are neither wholesome or unwholesome, that are simply functional and have no effect on our lives either for for good or bad. And we're going to do this simply by seeing the the entities for what they are. You see, once we 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 reify the, 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 the emotions, we, we give it an entity, and then it's up to us whether it's good or bad. We can decide that it's something good, or we can decide that it's something bad. And we might say, this is good for me, and it might turn out that that is actually bad for us. And we might say, this is bad for me, and it might turn out that that is actually good for us. We, we, we through our covering up the empirical reality, we are creating a subjective reality. And obviously, for sure, we can say this is good or this is bad, but the ultimate reality is one. There is no uh, subjectivity to suffering. If you're suffering, there, there, there's a cause for it. And if something is causing you suffering, then no matter how, how much you say it's good for you, useful for you, the truth is otherwise. It's not useful. It's not good for you. It's something that brings you suffering. And so, we're not trying to judge these states, and we're not trying to come to any um, any definition so that we have a, a, the ability to categorize in our minds. We're not trying to give rise to this intellectual idea that something might be bad or, or, or might be good. We're simply trying to see things as they are. Because the whole of the problem is giving things more importance or more meaning than they deserve. When, when a, 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 feel, a certain feeling arises, we might feel guilty because that feeling is certain. When certain feelings arise, we might feel happy and good. And uh, we might encourage that feeling. We will uh, feel feel self-righteous that we deserve these feelings. So, for instance, when we feel angry, we might have this um, basic understanding that anger is is wrong. But at the time when we've been wronged, when someone else has harmed us, we give rise to this belief that we deserve to be angry and that these people deserve to be hurt even though it's going to hurt them our anger is going to cause suffering for other people they deserve it we give we give rise to this this vague concept of, of deserts that, that this person deserves this for for some reason they have done a bad thing so uh, somehow they deserve punishment they deserve this punishment And these are unscientific uh, observations, they're judgments, they are um, jumping to a conclusion. It's not, uh, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship where we, we uh, have the proof, we understand things as they are, and therefore we come to the only conclusion possible. It's instead through our judgment and our reasoning and our logic which may be right, may be wrong. And the point is that even if it's right, there's something lacking. Because the point of the Buddha's teaching is that the true way out of suffering and the true way to be free from those states that are causing us harm is to see them clearly for what they are. You don't have to judge. And it doesn't help that you judge. It, it, it may help temporarily in the sense that you can chase them away or run away from them. Or, or cover them up temporarily, but it's not going to remove them or remove the, the danger. Because any time that these emotions arise, whether they be anger, greed, delusion, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, and so on, all these ones that we generally agree are a cause for suffering, we, we won't be able to deal with them. Our only way is to, to, to suppress them. And so we become, in a way, enslaved to our, our feelings. 
having to uh, react to them. On the other hand, when we come to see the feelings for what they are, come to understand them, simply this is this, it is what it is, and, and see them the, the way they truly are, then we lose any reason by which we should feel afraid, worried, or concerned. Because the emotion in and of itself can't uh, harm us in, unless we act upon it. If you like something, it only causes harm for you when, when you, when you uh, because it leads you to cling and, and to, to crave and to, to chase after. If you're able to understand the wanting, you're able to see the, the danger in it, then you can let it go. You can simply be aware of the object for what it is and in fact give up all of your, your, your liking and your desire. There is, there is no need in the end to judge or to reason or to remind yourself that this is bad or this is good. You simply have to remind yourself uh, of the object for what it is. You have to place your mind on the object uh, for what it is with, uh, you know, in such a way that removes all judgment. And so this is what we try to accomplish through the practice of meditation. We're trying to understand the emotive states, we're trying to understand the mental states, we're trying to understand all of the experience that we have in front of us simply for what it is. And we're trying, so we're trying to observe it as it comes, not making more or judging it beyond what is intrinsically apparent. So we have this, this technique that we use when you see something, you remind yourself that this is seeing. You don't let yourself uh, think of it as good or bad, me or mine, or, or, or you know, giving rise to any sort of concept. You remain in a scientific mode of, of observation, where you say, see to yourself seeing. You, you observe it to be seeing, reminding yourself it is what it is, so that your mind stays with the reality of the seeing. Because otherwise, you see for one moment, but immediately your mind wanders, your, your mind follows after it, thinking about the seeing, thinking about what it was that you saw, and liking it or disliking it, feeling, feeling good, feeling bad, and, and, and giving rise to all sorts of judgments. And you've lost sight of the object for what it is. Emotions are the same. When the emotion arises, if you, if you let your mind run its natural course, then the liking will lead to craving, the craving will lead to clinging, the clinging will lead to chasing after, and eventually more and more accumulation and busyness. So, what we're trying to do is simply, as to simplify this, to, to observe the reality as it comes, for what it is. And so we have this word, when, when you feel pain, you say to yourself, pain, 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 just knowing that it's pain. When you feel happy, you say to yourself, happy, happy, happy. When you feel calm, you say to yourself, calm, calm, and so on. When you're thinking, you say to yourself, thinking, thinking. And when any of the emotions arise, you say to yourself, liking, liking, or disliking, or angry, angry, frustrated, frustrated, worried, and so on. And so you replace this, this train of thought that is leading you towards uh, reification and, and identification and, and ultimately um, attachment and suffering, to you replace it with a, a scientific observation, simply seeing the object for what it is. This is how Buddhism looks at feelings. We, we look at people's feelings in terms of their ultimate reality. Now I think the, the, the real question that is, is being asked, because what is of, of most concern about this, is that in watching in this way, the conception, the perception is that eventually you're going to become a, a robot, you're going to become a person without emotion. And due to our 
uh, identification with these and, and an attachment to who we are and, and, and this, this identity that we've built up, this can be a, a very scary thing. So people are always concerned for this reason what we think about feelings. So here I'm trying to give some a, a very detailed framework. But the basic question uh, at its root is, is what, what, what good is it? Or, or am I going to lose who I am? Am I going to lose the good, uh, this, this good thing that I have, this identity that I built up, how I'm a person who people like and who makes people laugh and who is clever and witty and, you know, have my good taste, you know, people who have bad taste and so on. All of these, these, these uh, ill-defined or, or vaguely defined uh, concepts. And, and this, this concept of who we are, the self, of the, the, the being. And fortunately, the reality of things isn't, uh, isn't that way at all. The more we come to understand things, and the more truly scientific, and scientific simply in the sense of seeing things for what they are, no longer deluding ourselves, no longer being ignorant, the, the, the uh, experience with wisdom, experiencing things wisely and, and responding to things with wisdom is something that brings great joy and, and happiness and peace. It's something that stabilizes the mind. I, I think the one thing that we have to admit um, is that our philosophy or really our observation through the practice is that most of our emotive states are a cause for stress, they're a cause for suffering. And as I've said before, the, the reason for the, 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 the problem or the worry in this regard as to losing who we are, losing our identity, is that we as human beings, as beings, are very quick to forget we don't learn from our mistakes very well. Um, and you see this in all beings, in all animals. So you, you, you see dogs fighting and, and uh, falling into great suffering. They might bleed, they might be, be, be terribly injured. And, and then quite quickly come back and feel very happy. And, and, and if, you were to, if you were able to ask them, they would probably say, yeah, life is great, being a dog, wonderful, perfect. And, you know, this who I am as a dog, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful life. We're able to delude ourselves in this way. Dogs do it, humans do it. Many people, I, I've talked to people who, who have argued this with me, that, that our desires, our attachments are not harmful, are not, not dangerous, are, are not a problem. They're a part of who we are and they make life what it is. They make life the rich experience that it is. And it sounds so wonderful, it sounds so great, yes, how, how rich these things make our, our lives. But the truth, is they, the truth is they don't. The truth is that in fact they cause us incredible suffering. And these very same people I have seen in incredible stress and suffering. And so when things are good they say, yes, yes, wonderful. When things are bad they come crying and looking for a way out. And they go back and forth and, and they live in this, this, this life of... of constant fear and uh, danger that at any moment you could fall into intense suffering. And somehow the, the belief is that it's all worth it because, because of these times where we feel more or less content and, and, and at peace with ourselves. We feel good. We have the good times and we have the bad times. And so we say, if you take that away, you're nothing. You're, 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 you're just, just nothing. You know, a robot, emotionless, you, know, you have no feelings. People that, a person, you have no feelings, you have no heart and so on. This is a bad thing, right? But the truth is other than that. The truth is that the more wisdom that you have, the more happiness and the more peace that you have. So these times when they say, oh, you know, emotions are fine, I have all these, these emotions, I get angry sometimes, but no, it's fine. You know, I, I get back and, and, and I'm able to cope. Sort of. And usually they qualify it with, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's okay, we'll say. And so the truth is, is that through 
working out these problems. You don't come to some uh, bland middle. You 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 go beyond these states that these, that certain that ordinary people have, where sometimes they feel uh, more or less content, or they feel okay. You come to a point where you're always at a state of total safety. You don't have any fear or any any danger. There's nothing that could truly harm you. You might feel feel some stress and suffering as you're still working things out. But the more you, the further you go, the more safe you feel. The more you let go, right, the less there is that can harm you. The less there is to, to disturb you. So you have this state that people pretend that they have, which is a state of, of peace and calm and tranquility and, 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 and happiness or bliss, where uh, there's nothing bothering you. And you're, you're able to, to breathe and to, to, to feel free. You have this freedom. So, we should be very careful, and this is why I tried to explain about the concept of reification and the concept of, uh, of judging or, or, or placing some importance or some meaning on these reified states or reified concepts because the, they lead to this, this wrong view that somehow the ups and downs of life are, are, life are what, make it, what make it so meaningful. And if you were to somehow let go and, and, and free yourself from this, this attachment, you'd, you'd be, your life would be meaningless because you'd lose all of these things that, that you're attaching to, you're holding on to. If you lost those, that would be terrible. When in fact, as you look, and if you're honest with yourself, if you give honest observation and honest contemplation, you'll see that, that you'd be so much better off without these things. And you'd be in such a, a greater state of peace and happiness. Because you can ask yourself, what is it about the good times that, that are really make them worthwhile? And you say, it's the freedom. It's the, the freedom from fear, the freedom from danger. It's the... The, the peace that is in your mind. Your mind does not stress. The best times are not when you're chasing after things that you want. The best times are when you've got them and you have no more wanting. Where you're able to live in peace and not have to think about how to get the things that you want. So, all we're doing here is, is removing the middleman where you don't need to get things to be free from wanting. You give up the wanting and as a result you're in that state already the state that people think can only be gotten by attaining one's desire. When in fact it, it is uh, much easier, more easily gotten uh, through giving up one's desires. Because then it can be attained anywhere, at any time, without reliance on the objects of our desire. So, this is one part. The, the, other, the other part of this subject is that not all emotions have to be given up. Not all feelings are going to be given up by the person who, who comes to practice the Buddha's teaching, by a Buddhist. Not all emotions are unwholesome. And this is why we say, look at them objectively. Don't believe me, don't believe the Buddha. He said that these things are bad. Look at them for what they are and um, try to really understand them and break them apart, break apart this, this conceptualization to try and see the building blocks of the reality for what it is. Because some of the, the things in your mind are going to be increased, are going to be um, encouraged, and, and with good reason, because they bring benefit to yourself and to other people. There are things that don't lead to your harm, don't lead to the harm of other people, and so as a result, they become more and more prevalent. They become encouraged. Um, they they bring health to the mind, so the mind is inclined towards them more and more as we see things clearly. When we don't see things clearly, we're inclined towards those things that bring us suffering. The the, the more clouded our mind is, the more likely we are to fall into suffering, and the more unlikely we are to to develop those things that are a benefit 
those things that require wisdom to be uh, to, to grow. So, so I'd like to just give a, a brief description of those things that are of benefit and those things that are of harm. Not because I'm, I'm expecting this to, uh, to, to substitute your own realization. As I said, obviously this can't. But to, to simply give an explanation of uh, the, the framework, of what we're talking about, in, or what we what our theory is, what our, um, our teaching is in, the, in Buddhism. If you ask, you know, how do we deal with feelings? Well, that our understanding is that when we look at things for what they are, and you, we might be wrong, you're welcome to disprove and to, to see for yourself, and if it turns out that, that this isn't the way it is, then by all means, follow after the truth. But what we say happens is that you come to see that certain things are unwholesome. And without even judging, without even in having any intellectual activity whatsoever, you give them up. You don't, you don't, you fail to see the need for them. You fail to, to even consider them as an option. So when, for instance, anger, anger is something that we say is, is useless. It's not something that is of any benefit, and, and there's nothing that can be done with anger that could not be better done without anger. It doesn't mean that you can't be forceful and, and, and uh, assertive, but you can be much more forceful and much more assertive through wisdom, through calm and, and, and insight, than you can through, through rage and, and, and distress. And so we, we're, we're, we're looking at this anger and it, as something that is, is unpleasant. As, as, you, um, as you examine it, you're going to see that it is, a, it is something that is uh, disturbing you, something that is disturbing the mind, something that uh, only leads to your suffering and your distress. Greed, for example, is, is something that, something else that, that so greed is something that is actually quite difficult to see as, as uh, a danger. Without honest um, insight and honest examination, greed is, is even more difficult to see than anger as something that is unpleasant or something that is unwholesome. And this is because greed is often associated with a pleasant state. Greed is, is associated with those things that we want. So when we think of those things, we feel happy. Now the problem isn't in the happiness. Obviously, that's there, there's there's nothing nothing bad about feeling happy. The problem is that we 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 we, we like the happy state. We become partial to that state, and so as a result, when when we're without it, we're we're less happy, and we're inclined to. Uh, search and to seek out that um, the object of our desire. So we, we, we leave behind the happiness and we chase after the uh, a greater another happiness. And our um, our state of, of craving or of wanting of desire is this searching, is this work that we have to do, and this is a kind of stress. So when we're able to pick it apart, if we, if we look at it as, as, as my likes, my partiality, my interests, my taste, and so on, then we, 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 can't, we can't discern any problem. We can't, we, it's impossible for us to ever come to terms with it. When we break it apart into its, its composite states, we see that there's the happiness, which is not problematic. It has, has nothing intrinsically wrong with it. But then there is the, the craving, the, the idea that, that, this has, uh, that this has some greater benefit than, than, than something else, or than not having it. And this is an energy that arises in the mind, an effort that leads us to, to not be satisfied with that happiness. It has nothing to do with the happiness that we've gained. It doesn't keep it longer, but it, it forces us to seek out more more of this happy feeling. 
and then we see that there is the seeking and there is the, the, the uh, complication that comes from it and the stress that comes from, from, from seeking, from seeking to hold on to the objects of our desire that we have and, and to, to seek out more, to gain more. Delusion is another one. When we, when we practice meditation, we'll come to see that a lot of the problem is not simply in the fact that we are greedy and that we get angry, but that it's because we, we justify these things. We, as I said, we reify them. We say they're me, they're mine, and we have this conceit, the idea that uh, these, are, these are my uh, emotions, and the idea that we're a good person because of that, or, or feeling proud of ourselves because of who we are, and, and as a result not being able to give up certain things because it, it would destroy our image, or feeling low self-esteem and feeling guilt based on these things. And, and this guilt is a force in and of itself. Feeling guilty about, about our, our desires, feeling guilty about our anger, feeling guilty about our our worries and our stress and so on, feeling bad about who we are, feeling having low self-esteem. And this is all under the, the idea of delusion. And so for as long as we have this vague definition of, of who we are, we're not going to be able to get rid of these. You know, say, I'm a bad person or, or, or I'm a great person or so on. There's nothing you can do with that. You can't. You can't mold that, you can't change that into something else unless you get rid of yourself and take on a new self. But when you pull that apart, you come to see that this is only thoughts arising in the mind. It's delusion, it's illusion, it's constructs and concepts that arise in the mind. As you look closely, you use this meditative technique or any meditative technique, whatever it is that will allow you to focus and to see clearly, as you see the, the, the objects and the experience for what they are, you will, you will give up any concept of me, of mine, of, 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 uh, of good and bad, and, and, and of pride and, and delusion and, and, and attachment to self and so on. You'll simply see the experiences for what they are. You say, oh, now greed is arising, now anger is arising, now mindfulness is arising, now I'm tired, now I'm hungry, and so on. You'll, you'll, you'll simply see the states for what they are without um, giving any meaning to them or any attachment. So these are the bad things. These are, these are basically the bad things. I mean, there's, there's so many of them. There's, de there's depression and, and, and worry and fear and frustration and boredom and so on. But the, the point that I, I made earlier and that I'd like to stress again is that these words that we give to the mental states are, are, are really just that. They're a, a name for a certain state and a name for a set of states. When in fact ang uh, depression is really just a form of anger. They're, they're the, same, the same atom. They have the same building blocks. Except that depression has its own uh, associated states, so, so it's dealing with uh, a, a prolonged, uh, difficult to define cause. When someone hits you, you get angry. When you lose your job, you get depressed, right? Because it's 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 there, there's no there's no target that's easy to pinpoint, and so the anger is 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 uh, it's not boiling, but it's uh, it's, it's heating up. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's on its way to, to boiling. But the, the, the state is the same. So really we, we break it down into these three categories. The, the liking side, the disliking side, and the delusion side. The side of, of reifying and, and identifying with, with the state. And this is really it. The, 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 there's really not that many states that we're going to have to get rid of. We, we do away with the craving, we do away with the aversion, we do away with the 
the delusion, the, the, the conceit and views and so on. And so then the question people have is, well, what's left? Right? I mean, if, if we get rid of that, then, then who are we? Right? Then, then there's no more emotions left, right? But it, for those of us who have practiced Buddhism, and many of you have already been practicing, obviously you, you're as aware as I am that this isn't the case. In fact, there are many emotions that are of use and valuable, and, and that we see actually increase when you get rid of your greed, anger, and delusion. These are states like love, obviously. I haven't talked about love yet. Compassion, very important for Buddhists. Everyone always talks about how Buddhists teach compassion. How compassion is the highest. And I always argue, no, no, wisdom is the highest. But we'll get back to that. Um, no, joy. Even joy is, is uh, in, in, in certain circumstances. You know, appreciation, I guess you could say. Appreciation of good things in this is the meaning. And um, the, this calm, this emotion that is the state of peace. The, these, are, these are some of the good ones. The, these are the, I would say, the emotions that are useful. Now, as I said, there are many mind states that are not emotive, and, and, and these all work together. So mindfulness is, on the, is another good one. It's not, an emo, not generally understood to be an emotive state, but this clarity of mind. This is a good thing. Wisdom is a good thing. There are many parts of who we are, uh, what makes up who we are. You don't have to worry that you're not going to have anything left. In fact, you have everything. You have all of the good things. You have love, you have uh, compassion, you have appreciation, you have calm, you, you, have, you have mindfulness, you have wisdom, you have concentration, you have contentment, you have all sorts of good things. And so when people say that, you know, through giving up all of our emotions, all of these things, like, like all of our wants, all of our desires, all of our aversions, we're not going to have anything left. You know, life is this balance between what we like and what we dislike, and this isn't true. These are the bad things. These are the things you can do away with. This, this you know, flapping, flopping, flip-flopping back and forth between liking and dislike. Give that up. That, that's not where happiness lies. There is no balance to be found there. Those are both wrong, bad things, and they're, they're only supported through delusion. When wisdom arises, there are so many good things that arise. Love, our love for other beings becomes immeasurable, where instead of before you might love the people you were attached to or the people who brought you happiness, and the people who brought you suffering you would be very angry with. Once you practice Buddhist teaching, through the practice of the Buddhist teaching, we we um, you can see for yourself that you you you're able to give up this partiality, and even the people who you used to hate, the people who hurt you, you're able to love and feel sorry for, and wish good things for, to the point where you can wish it for all beings, and you really do mean it. Compassion, when people are suffering, you you are you are uh, struck, you, you are stirred, 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 <laughs> stirred to, to act, you want to help them, the, the, you have no uh, hesitation when someone is suffering, you don't think, you, you help them as, as best you can, as is appropriate. When someone does a good thing, you don't feel jealousy, you, 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 you have appreciation. This is the, the meaning of appreciation or joy. You feel happy about good things. When you do good things, you feel good about it. When other people do good things, you also feel good about it. So instead of before, you might have felt good about your good things and bad about when other people get good things and, and feel jealous and feel um, inferior and this sort of competition, having to be better than everyone. Well, now you, you, once you have wisdom, you gain all of these good states. The, and the fourth one is, of course, you gain calm. You gain this emotion, emotive state that is really um, often seen as, as lacking emotion. You know, people are, are dead robots. Robots are very calm, right? 
But it's not really like that. It's not a lifeless state. It's really an alive and alert because it's, it's accompanied with wisdom and it's accompanied with mindfulness and clarity of mind and, 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 and so on. And so this is really the point. This is why I say that wisdom is the, high, is the highest. When we talk about what is the highest in Buddhism, we should never say things like compassion or love or equanimity. These are the highest. It's not true. None of these can really grow without wisdom. As long as there is delusion in the mind, our love, our compassion, our, our joy will always be tainted, will always be partial, will always be subjective and, and unable to, to grow. It will always be repressed, like a tree that is trying to grow but is, is repressed by other trees and other plants and vines and so on. When you lift all of this up, it's able to grow. This is the... the the uh, result and the benefit of gaining wisdom. So we don't have to, going back again, we don't have to develop any state um, intrinsically besides wisdom because once wisdom arises all of the other states will arise by themselves and they will come naturally. You know, once we have wisdom we will naturally feel love towards other beings, we will naturally feel compassion. and we will find that we're able to cultivate compassion and, and, and love and so on um, quite easily based on our wisdom. So these are, these are the good feelings and this is how um, Buddhism relates to them through the, the development of, of, of wisdom and insight and, and simply seeing them for what they are, seeing all good and bad things simply for what they are without any judgment because this will, will change the way we look at reality. So, I think this is uh, long enough, and uh, I think I've covered all the bases, and I hope I've uh, gone through the, the subject in, in enough depth. I'd like to thank you all for your attention and for watching this, uh, for listening to this. And I hope that you are able to put it into practice. Please don't um, remain content with simple intellectual understanding. Try to spend some time, whatever time you have, to put this into practice, to put the Buddha's teaching into practice, to come to see things as they are, so that you for yourself can um, become free from the stress and the suffering that, that, that is the danger of these emotive states, of the bad emotive states. And you will also be able to develop those good ones, and you will be free from suffering. I hope that you're all able to put this into practice and, and realize the truth of the Buddhist teachings and, and truly become free from suffering. You may all find peace, and happiness, and well-being for yourselves. Thank you all for listening, and have a good day.